Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking with the editors of Democratizing Inequalities, Dilemmas of the New Public Participation, published by NYU Press. The three editors are Caroline Lee, Michael McQuarrie, and Edward Walker. Caroline is also the author of Do-It-Yourself Democracy, The Rise of the Public Engagement Industry, published by Oxford University Press. I hope that you enjoy this interview that I did with the three of them. Welcome back to the New Books and Political Science podcast. Today I have the pleasure to have two of the editors and also the uh, chapter authors of the new book, Democratizing Inequalities, Dilemmas of the New Public Participation. Uh, the, the book is uh, published by NYU Press this year. I have Caroline Lee and I have Edward Walker on the phone. Caroline, how are you doing? I'm great. Glad to be and, and Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. And, and Ed, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine, thanks. Yeah, we have two of the three uh, of the uh, editors, and, and maybe what I can have you do is to each introduce yourself, and one of you can introduce your, your other editor who isn't with us, uh, maybe coming on later, but is it, uh, at least for now isn't, isn't with us. Caroline, would you like to introduce yourself and maybe also introduce Michael? Sure. My name is Caroline Lee, and I'm an associate professor of sociology at Lafayette College which is a small liberal arts college in Easton, Pennsylvania. And I'm a sociologist whose interests are in political sociology, economic sociology, organizational sociology, social movements. And my interests generally sort of lie at the intersection of social movements, businesses, and democracy. Yeah, wonderful. And and, uh, Ed, how about yourself? Uh, Sure. I am uh, Associate Professor of Sociology at UCLA. Uh, I'm also uh, Vice Chair uh, in the Sociology Department here. I'm the author of uh, Grassroots for Hire, uh, a book about uh, public affairs consultants and how they're reshaping public participation. Uh, My interests are at the kind of intersection of social movements, organizations, uh, and political sociology. I'm also kind of generally interested in the nonprofit sector. Yeah, wonderful. And and what about Michael? Maybe you can just kind of give us give us who who the third is of your group. Sure. Uh, So uh, so, uh, I'll go ahead. Uh, Michael uh, is associate professor of sociology at the London School of Economics uh, and Political Science. Uh, he's interested in uh, community organizing, uh, uh, social movements, uh, and uh, and politics much more broadly. Yeah, uh, wonderful, and we'd hope to have him here, and, and he may he may check in later. Um, but let's let's talk a bit about about this book. And so so Caroline, your um well your name is on the top of the list, so so I'm going to assume that you're the leader of this threesome. Strictly so, strictly alphabetical. We are we are all equal uh, contributors. <laughs> right. Um, but but maybe you can um, uh, take take a chance and just talk a little bit about how you three came together. Sure. Um, what what brought you together to co-edit this volume? So uh, my my research, which uh, I I've got a book um, just out in uh, 2015 called uh, Do It Yourself Democracy: uh, The Rise of the Public Engagement Industry, is on uh, consultants who facilitate public engagement processes uh, in in the U.S. and that has a really uh, interesting tie to Ed's work on uh, the grassroots uh, lobbying industry. So he's studying public affairs consultants who are working on behalf of their clients to mobilize a targeted segment of the public. And uh, the folks that I study are consultants who are working on behalf of their clients to mobilize a broad cross-section of the public. And Ed and I happened to be on a panel together in uh, 2007 at the American Political Science Association and, you know, just 
got interested in each other's work and, and felt like uh, we needed to sort of form some sort of fellowship because there weren't a lot of other people in uh, this area studying the new public engagement um, from this sort of organizational uh, social movements uh, business standpoint. Point. Um, and uh, Mike and I had had a um, fellowship together at uh, the Social Science Research Council's uh, program on philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Uh, he's also got an interest in nonprofits and, and had this interest in community organizing and what was going on uh, since the 70s in that field with respect to public engagement and consensus organizing. So so we all sort of uh, got together and um, decided that our interests were uh, very much related to a larger phenomenon that we wanted to study, and uh, we ended up deciding to do an edited volume. Yeah, and I wonder if I could just sort of stay with you for a second. I'm glad that you also brought up your other book, Do It Yourself Democracy, um, because they, they deal clearly with, with very similar subject matter. So um, what do we mean when we refer to the new public participation? What what types of activities fall fall under this umbrella? And, and one, one thing I was particularly interested in is in writing your other book, uh, how many get-to-know-you warm-up exercises did you have to go through in order to write that book? Because you write quite humorously about some of the new-agey aspects of, of certain parts of the public participation movement. Right, right. Uh, far too many. <laughs> talk in the book about how, how deeply uncomfortable I am with, uh, with getting-to-know-you exercises, but, but I suffered through. Um, and that, that's part of their, their point. Um, but, uh, yeah, so when we talk about uh, the new public participation, we're talking about the rise in uh, the last, um, you know, 20, uh, 30 years of uh, enhanced opportunities for um, people to have their say. So you see a lot of sort of invitations now to join the conversation or to join the discussion. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly uh, there have been lots of different phases of uh, American uh, life and politics that, that have involved um, various forms of participation uh, from members of the public. So, you know, you think of the populist movement or um, progressive era, you know, lots of different the 1960s movements. Um, but what, what's different here uh, that we're talking about is, is uh, in some senses that new technologies have enabled uh, new forms of participation. So we see a lot of uh, digital participation and, um, you know, participation of uh, people in political campaigns in new ways um, through the use of technology. But also the real difference here is uh, in the use of uh, participation that's been facilitated from the top down. So uh, organizations that are uh, developing expertise in mobilizing the public um, on behalf of uh, other people. So, you know, if um, if uh, sitting in a social movement in a sort of encounter group and, um, you know, passing a talking stick uh, around the circle was part of, um, you know, sort of women's uh, empowerment groups in the, in the 60s and 70s, then uh, now we might see that same form happening, but that's uh, being conducted by a facilitator, maybe in a corporate uh, retreat where people are being invited to sort of share their inspiration. Um, and, and the purpose is that the form of the participation looks similar, but the purposes uh, might be very different. And, and Michael writes about this in one of, in chapter five, and he, he writes um, very interestingly about Cleveland, Ohio, 
and some of the transformations that have happened, and he refers to this um, participation in some cases as the tools of elite authority. That sort of bring, brings us to, Ed, uh, some of your take on this. Um, you write uh, one of the chapters in the book about corporate public affairs, and I think most, most people sort of um, that aren't in the know would, would think about corporations as really steering clear of, of grassroots lobbying, you know, favoring instead the more direct uh, approaches to, to politics. But you suggest things really have changed. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what, is, what has happened, what's, what's caused this change, and how this relates some to your analysis in Chapter 4 of the book. Right. Uh, so in, in, in my experience um, in, in, in observing this field uh, over the past few years, it's really remarkable how much corporations are interested in uh, mobilizing mass participation now. I mean, we usually think of corporations as focusing their political lobbying efforts mainly on, on direct lobbying and, and campaign contributions through their political action committees. Uh, but we know that corporations have become uh, increasingly engaged in mobilizing political activism. Uh, there, is, there really wasn't much research on this, although it's been happening a long time. Uh, in sociology, um, uh, there was a study of uh, the pro-nuclear power movement by, uh, by Yusim and Zal that was published back in 1982. But there really wasn't too much uh, else in the meantime, uh, looking at the extent to which corporations are increasingly interested in mobilizing mass participation. But we, we know that the nuclear industry wasn't the only one. Um, there have been a number of other industries that we've seen, you know, major mass mobilization campaigns. Uh, there was the, the smokers' rights campaigns uh, as, as the tobacco industry was challenged in the, the 80s and especially into the 1990s. Um, uh, you see today uh, the for-profit colleges doing this. Uh, there was just a report uh, that, uh, that crew uh, in Washington uh, just issued not too long ago about the tanning bed industry doing this. Um, so when industries are faced with major public contention uh, or you know, seriously threatening regulation, they often find that they need to uh, mobilize the public just like a social movement organization does. Um, and this has been happening to a much greater extent, especially with the help of public affairs consultants. Uh, these are consultants who, uh, who mobilize the public uh, essentially for a fee. Uh, they will uh, go after uh, targeted demographic groups. Sometimes these are people in swing legislative districts um, to try to, uh, to shift uh, policy outcomes, uh, especially in the legislature, but, uh, but also in, uh, in the uh, administrative agencies. Uh, they do a really substantial amount of this. And what's interesting for me about how this connects to the broader project and some themes that I saw between my work and, and Caroline's and Michael's, uh, is that you know these kinds of elite-driven efforts to mobilize the public? They just look a whole lot different than the kinds of participatory forms that that we usually tend to think and write about. Um, this is a far cry from the deliberative democracy that uh, that many people uh, you know envision as the sort of ideal of, uh, of a public sphere. Um, uh, these are forms of participation that are largely driven from the top down. Uh, they're they're done with a strategic goal in mind and. You know, unlike most other kinds of grassroots participation that we talk about, they're not independent of the state and of the market. Um, I mean, I think we've always known that it's something of a fiction to imagine that participation is ever fully disconnected from those areas. But uh, these new forms of participation really put an exclamation point on it. Now, Caroline, I wonder um, if there's anything in, in your book that, that really drives home this, this point. Um, because, you know, I guess, you know, in reading your account, both both in the in the in the edited volume, but also your your uh, sole authored book, um, there's kind of a real pessimism that sets in. Um, you know, I think that, that many people would say, that, you know, we, we held out such hope for for these these kinds of activities. And, and when I went to that town hall or I went to that conference, I, I assumed the best. Um, 
your take is is quite different, um, much much as Ed has suggested. So, are you are you just at this point a, a real pessimist about public participation, or or is 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 there sort of a a side of this that that we we need to to understand to sort of fill out our understanding. Right, that's a great question, and uh, you know certainly um, we're not uh, seeking to send people to put their head in the oven. The the uh, the, the real um, you know concern here with the book was that at, at the time that we started organizing this volume, uh, there was so much excitement in uh, academia about these new forms of participation. You know, a lot of it well founded, but but that was seeming to get in the way of analyzing what was really going on, or just getting a more nuanced grip on on the sort of empirical reality on the ground and. You know, our interest in writing the book was not to say, look at this participation failing or look at, you know, the, uh, you know, how much fake participation there is nowadays. It was really actually the opposite, which was to just understand, uh, you know, that there's been this explosion of new participatory forms um, in a time where, uh, you know, inequality is increasing and, and the, those new participatory forms can't really help but reflect the unequal context in which they operate. Um, so we wanted to sort of understand how that might influence, uh, you know, uh, how participatory forms evolved. But we also wanted to understand the ways that participatory projects may reinforce or even generate new forms of inequality. Um, and, you know, that's certainly not a predetermined outcome. We, we are, we are <laughs> very open to um, the promise of, uh, of participation. And so, you know, in my, um, in my own research, I start the book with an example of, of, Community Congress on New Orleans, and this was this multi-city, very large event, um, bringing together uh, Katrina refugees from all over the country. I, I was observing a process in Dallas, but they also had them in Baton Rouge, uh, New Orleans, uh, et cetera. And, you know, from one standpoint, this was just this really moving event where um, where citizens of the city were getting together to uh, decide what, um, you know, what the uh, what the planning process should look like down the road, what they wanted the city to look like and what their priorities were. Um, and that was really heartening. And and then I talk about, you know, from this other perspective, you could see this event as uh, being a sort of canned uh, feel good event that had lots of things like, you know, slam poetry and and, you know, sort of patriotic music and, and, and a lot of sports fandom and things like that. That seems sort of odd for what we usually think of as a sort of New England style town hall, you know, every citizen getting a chance to have their say. And so it's not that these processes are one or the other, but that they're both. And, and we want to understand sort of how participation has a lot of loaded meanings and, and has gotten, uh, you know, the way it has um, now, not to say that it doesn't have potential, but just to understand that that potential in uh, context of really systematic structural inequalities. Yeah. And, and Ed, in, in, you know, one of the fun things about being an editor of a volume like this is pulling all these different scholars together. And you have David Meyer in the book and Daniel Kreese uh, Daniel and Isaac Martin. Is there an article in here that um, surprised you, that, that you learned something new? Um, you know, this has a, has a lot of different perspectives, some of them international. 
Um, what um, is there one that you can sort of point to and say that's that that sort of was a new take on this issue that that I learned something from and I've incorporated into my own work? Right. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, there, at, at the risk of, uh, of you know going out of my way to, to favor one one chapter over another, um, the the one, the one chapter that I that I think you know comes right to mind, uh, although all, these are all really valuable contributions. Um, let me just say that up front. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Dan, Daniel Crisis chapter, uh, you know, had some really interesting uh, discussion. Uh, you know, and uh, about uh, unintended consequences, and that's that's uh, you know a large story that comes through. I think across these contributions. Um, you know, where he talks about these, uh, these, these activists who were involved in the MyBarackObama.com uh, uh, effort during the 2008 campaign. And, um, you know, there, there was an effort to, uh, to challenge uh, the Obama campaign from within uh, among the activists on, uh, on the renewal of, uh, of FISA. And, um, you know, it was sort of interesting to see how the Obama campaign sort of went out of its way to, to shut that down um, and how there was all this rhetoric and interest in expanding participation through this campaign. And yet at the same time, there were limits to uh, the, the, the power that those activist groups could express because of the institutional context in which it operated. And, you know, for me, that, that has this kind of fractal pattern um, uh, type of feel to it where, you know, this kind of microcosm helps to understand the whole of the book um, where, you know, we do tend to equate participation with empowerment and in turn democracy. There's this appeal of that. And you know, it almost seems as if it is impermissible to suggest that you can have participation without democracy, in part because of the seemingly more defensible claim that you can't have democracy without participation. And uh, I think a large part of what this book is pointing out, and I think this is true for Dan's chapter and, and all the others, um, is that, you know, this isn't exactly a straightforward link. Um, the, the quality of participation, and I think this touches on some of the things that Caroline just said, you know, it's as, it's as much, uh, if not more, essential to the potential for uh, democracy than some of these other considerations. Um, uh, you know, I think you see a number of examples of this in the book and things that we've seen in the time since, uh, especially in the U.S. with the rise of uh, dark money organizations that are calling themselves social welfare groups and incorporated under Code 501c4 of the IRS. Um, uh, you know, these are designed to essentially operate as a covert force for business political power. Um, and uh, and yet, you know, these are these are organizations that um, that are you know structured uh, in many ways as nonprofit groups. Uh, I think these you know examples like this and a lot of what we're seeing uh, in other sectors now, uh, they're showing us that participation is is fundamentally ambivalent, and we can't just say participation equals empowerment. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's such an interesting collection of of, of articles, as uh, as you mentioned, and. And uh, Dan's is a, is a great uh, chapter, as are all of the chapters in this interesting <laughs> book uh, that uh, Caroline and, and Ed and, and Michael, who wasn't with us today, um, uh, have, have available to us. Democratizing Inequalities, Dilemmas of the New Public Participation, published by NYU Press, available at their website. Caroline and Ed, thank you both very much for your time today. Thanks so much, Heath. Thank you very much.